Excuse me, boys. What's going on here? It's the classic guitar rock podcast. This sucks more than anything that I've ever fucked before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, this could be a really positive experience for you guys. I wish you could just shut your big yapper. I don't think there's anybody back there. I'm here to tell you all that life as you know it has ended. Well, there's your problem right there, Vern. You see that little right there? Hello again, everyone. It's good to have you with us for this event. It figures to be an exceptional one, one that doesn't need any buildup. Up there in the wild blue yonder, I'm known as the Gray Eagle. And this is my co-pilot. That's right. I'm known as the Brown Pigeon. Captain the Bridge. Spock here. Any signs of life? Negative. I gotta tell you, fellas, you have got what appears to be a dynamite sound. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Ready to move up. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host... Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy Lunnan. Thanks so much for joining me. We've got a good show on tap. We're going to talk about MTV. We probably don't often think of MTV as having a lot to do with classic rock or hard rock, but but actually MTV was very important in its early days to many classic rock and hard rock bands, and that's why we're going to have the conversation. I think it will be fascinating to to have this discussion. And we'll talk about specific some bands specifically that did not handle the advent of music videos very well. It had a negative impact on on a number of classic rock bands. We'll get into all that. It'll be a, a fun conversation. I do want to talk about something that happened last week. You may have heard about this. Last week, Rolling Stone released their top 500 greatest songs of all time. This is an update. I think the last time they did this was in 2003. So every 20 years or 18 years, whatever, this is not something they do every year. But they released their top 500 greatest songs of all time. I'm not going to pull any punches, okay? Rolling Stone is just slightly less idiotic and stupid than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You want to do something fun sometime? Find the original reviews that Rolling Stone did on classic albums. You will be surprised at how out of touch and stupid the writers at Rolling Stone are and have been for decades. So this is nothing new. Rolling Stone has basically always been a, a piece of crap. You know, I, I don't mean to be negative. That's just the truth. 
Uh, and again, if you want a good laugh, look through this top 500 list. It, it especially gets humorous once you get up to the top 50, top 30, top 20. And I just scratch my head. I'm like, okay, whatever. And there's an old adage that goes like this. Those who can play music, play music. Those that wish they could play music but can't become music critics. There's a lot of truth to that. There are a lot of bitter musician wannabes that couldn't be successful playing music. So instead, they make it their job to to criticize the work of other people. So again, you ever want an exercise in stupidity that is super fun to do, just go back and read the reviews that Rolling Stone has published for some classic albums over the years. It, it will crack you up. So just for fun, I'm going to share the top 20. Uh, according to Rolling Stone, these are the top 20 songs of all time. So first of all, I want you to, to think, A, have I ever heard this song? Because there's some of those on here that I'm like, I've never heard that song. And guys, I get it. Music is subjective. We all like different genres. Very subjective. But from my point of view, as I read this list, I just shake my head. And, and the test is this. Will these songs still be played 20 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now? Will they? You'll understand what I'm saying as I go through the top 20. So according to Rolling Stone, the top 20 songs of all time. Here we go. Coming in at number 20. It's Robin dancing on my own. Never heard it. Number 19, John Lennon. Imagine. Okay. I can see that. Number 18, Prince and the Revolution. Purple Rain. I can see that. Is it a top 20 greatest of all time? Uh, I don't know, but at least I recognize it. And it is a great song. Number 17, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Again, another song, recognizable. You could debate whether or not it's in the top 20. Here's one coming in at number 16, greatest song of all time, Beyonce featuring Jay-Z, Crazy in Love. Not sure I've heard it. I don't know. Maybe it's a great song. Is it number 16 of all time? I don't know. Number 15, The Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand. I think this is probably a top 20 song of all time. No problems there. Number 14, The Kinks, Waterloo Sunset. You know that song? You ever heard that song? Is it the 14th greatest song of all time? What do you think? Number 13, The Rolling Stones, Give Me Shelter. Heard it? Big song? Is it number 13 of all time? I don't know. Uh, number 12, another great song, Stevie Wonder, Superstition. Number 11, The Beach Boys, God Only Knows. God Only Knows why they would choose that song from The Beach Boys. Not that it's a bad song, but I would think there are other Beach Boys songs that would place higher than that. Uh, and again, they're saying this is the 11th greatest song of all time. Number 10, greatest song, the number 10 greatest song of all time is Hey Yeah by Outkast. Number nine, Fleetwood Mac Dreams. Fleetwood Mac, great band from a great album, Rumors. Dreams is not the song I would pick off of that album if I was going to put it in the greatest songs of all time. That's just my personal opinion. But I have no problem with Fleetwood Mac being on this list. Number eight, 
The eighth greatest song of all time is Missy Elliott's Get Your Freak On. Number seven, The Beatles' Strawberry Fields Forever. A great song. Is it the seventh greatest of all time? I don't know about that. Number six, another great song. And, and this, I, I do not have a problem with this song being in the top 10 of all time. This is a great song. Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? Great song. Number five, Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. This was a huge song. It was a massive song. I'm not a big grunge fan. Is this the number five greatest song of all time? I don't think so. I think for sheer importance and magnitude of the song, it should probably be in the top 20. Uh, but I don't think it's the number five best song of all time. Number four, Bob Dylan like a Rolling Stone. Let me just say this about Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan is a great writer. Okay, I get it. But the idol worship, the God worship that has gone on around Bob Dylan, he's like Springsteen, right? For whatever reason, it is cool to like Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen, even though a lot of their stuff is crap. Okay, I do recognize Dylan's a great writer, terrible singer. Dylan should be on this list, right? He should be somewhere near the top, top 20, maybe for some of the greatest songs of all time. Number four of all time. I don't know. That's kind of debatable. Again, Bob Dylan, very overrated, in my opinion. Number three, a great song by a great artist. Is it the number three greatest song of all time? Sam Cooke's A Change Is Gonna Come. Coming in at number two, this is the second greatest song of all time. This one I laughed out loud. Public Enemies Fight the Power. The 500 greatest songs of all time coming in at number two is Public Enemies Fight the, <laughs> Fight the Power. And then finally, at number one, guys, this is a massive song, huge song. Is it the number one song of all time? I have a, I have a hard time saying this is the greatest song of all time. Aretha Franklin, Respect, coming in at number one. The greatest song of all time. Now, what you've got to look at, we I read you that list of the top 20. You've got to think of the the people that didn't appear on this list that have huge important songs. Way more important than than Public Enemy, way more important than the Kinks Waterloo song. It's just funny. This is a and this is the case with Rolling Stone. It's always an exercise in them trying to show how smart they are and cool they are compared to you. Well, we're music critics. We're the experts on what's great. And their list reflects a bunch of people who think they're smarter than everyone else who pick, for the most part, a lot of crap. There was some good stuff in their top 20, but man, are they out of whack, in my opinion, in terms of saying these are the top 20 greatest songs of all time. It's kind of ridiculous. So for a good laugh, check out the list. You can see the whole list. And there's so many songs on there that A, I've never heard of. And then you'll see truly awesome songs that are way too low on the list. And just lots of songs that you're just wondering what they were smoking when they came up with that list. But check that out if you want to. That's the top 500 greatest songs of all time on Rolling Stone. And after you read the article, you can use it for toilet paper or, or whatever.
Okay, coming up, we are going to talk about MTV, the impact it had on classic rock and and some of the lingering impacts that it has had. I can already tell I'm grumpy. This this Rolling Stone list got me in a grumpy mood. <laughs> so I might be kind of grumpy as we talk about MTV. But coming up, we'll have that conversation about MTV. But first, I want to welcome one of our sponsors. Our, our sponsor is, is a book. This book is called Crazy Is As Crazy Does, The Life of a Serial Killer by John H. Mudgett. This is a tensely clever first-person psychological thriller that deep dives into the world of an experienced serial killer. Now, I got a copy of this book, and I sat right down and start started reading it. And in one sitting, I didn't read the whole thing in one sitting. I probably got two-thirds of the way in. It pulls you in. It's a great book. It's an ebook that's available for purchase via Amazon, and it's free for Kindle Unlimited readers. And though the protagonist in the story, John Goodman, is fictional, the circumstances of Goodman's dark life are firmly rooted in historical characters and events. Crazy Is As Crazy Does begins in 1955 and follows John as he evolves from a timid and disorganized criminal into a powerful mastermind of deception and intimidation. If you are a fan of crime shows or crime novels, this is one that you will love. My wife is reading it now and is really enjoying this book. Crazy is as crazy does the life of a serial killer. Check it out on Amazon. Coming up, let's have our conversation about MTV. Attention, if you live in Spokane, Washington, and have teeth, this message is for you. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry knows teeth. Incisors, bicuspids, canines, molars. No tooth is too big or too small. I was delighted and impressed. So impressed, I bought the company. With Braun and Jarvis, you'll have the sweetest grill in the inland northwest. And let's be honest, nobody wants a funky grill. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry. 509-464-2391. That's 509-464-2391. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry. Quality dentistry that doesn't suck. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the Empire State Building in New York City. Well, okay, I'm in a basement in Spokane, Washington. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. And welcome back to the basement. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy Lennon. Thanks so much for joining us. So was I too hard on Rolling Stone? What do you think? You can email me, classicguitarrock at mail.com. One other little program note I wanted to mention. It's a plug for the Classic Guitar Rock Countdown, our satellite podcast. 
it is exclusively on Spotify Premium. So if you have Spotify Premium, you'll definitely want to check out the Classic Guitar Rock Countdown where we actually do a countdown show and we actually are able to play the music. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so far, episode one was on Rush's top 10. Episode two was the top 10 hard rock albums of 1980. So if you have Spotify Premium, Go find the classic guitar rock countdown. I think you'd enjoy that. Today, we, of course, are talking about MTV and the huge impact it had on classic rock and hard rock music. Before we get to that, I want to talk to you about our friends at Campfire Audio. Campfire Audio is a premier manufacturer of earphones. Now, all you've got to do is go to their website, campfireaudio.com, and you'll be amazed at what these things look like. Now, if you hear them, that's a completely different story. And guys, let me tell you, I, I worked in radio for over a decade, and that was my first exposure to using good headphones or earphones. They are not all the same. And when you hear a quality earphone like the ones that Campfire Audio makes, you will be amazed. Campfire Audio springs from a passionate focus on refined audio reproduction. They have a small team of highly skilled and dedicated craftspeople who continuously experiment with materials and techniques to create something unique and special for people like us who really care about that stuff. With determination and focus... Prototypes turn into world-class earphones, and each model in their earphone line is designed and assembled by hand in their Portland, Oregon workshop. Their earphones are second to none in performance and finish. Rest assured that when you purchase a Campfire Audio earphone, you are the proud owner of a world-class product from a company that confidently stands behind everything it creates. Check them out today, campfireaudio.com. Now, on my birthday, August 1st, 1981, this new network splashes onto the scene. It's called MTV. And the idea is 24 hours a day, all they're going to show is music videos. And music videos at the time were this new thing. And you would occasionally see a music video on you know, Saturday Night Live showed a few music videos or sometimes you'd see a music video on, you know, Friday Night Videos came out in the late 70s, early 80s, where there were a limited quantity of music videos being made and you could watch these videos. I remember seeing a video for The Wall, Pink Floyd's The Wall, pre-MTV. And the only place you could see those were, you know, like I said, on certain music TV shows and or or a Saturday Night Live or something like that. Well, at first, the idea of 24, 7, 24 hours a day, you're going to show these music videos. That's crazy. That'll never work. Well, it did work. And for those of us that were at that age, I was actually a year late where I lived. We didn't get MTV until the following summer. So summer of 82, MTV is available to us. This, I lived in Oklahoma at the time. And I could tell you for an hour before school, every morning and probably for two hours after school, every, every day I would watch MTV. Now, here's what's interesting. 
in the early days of the network, like I said, there everyone didn't make music videos. And MTV obviously had to have material to play. And so bands that produce videos obviously were at an advantage because a lot of bands didn't make videos. A lot of record labels didn't think they need to make videos. And so for the first two or three years, what you saw on MTV was completely different than the music you heard on contemporary hit radio. They were completely different. And so MTV, you would be exposed to bands because they had videos that weren't necessarily getting played on the radio. So I remember seeing bands like Adamant and the Split Ends and a lot of, a lot of British bands, a lot of new wave bands that you'd never heard of before. You know, that's what you'd watch. And then you'd occasionally you'd see a video for a song that was popular on the radio or even cooler is they'd show these old videos like from the 60s. You'd see a Black Sabbath video or a Jimi Hendrix video or an old Beatles video come up. And, and a lot of times those are just live footage, you know, concert footage or whatever. But you were getting exposed to this broad cross section of music, unlike any radio at the time, because by the eighties guys, radio stations were very formatted, very tight playlists. You know, you listen to a CHR, a contemporary hit, a top 40 station, right? It was a very tight playlist and, and you heard the same songs repeated often, blah, blah, blah. You know, the story MTV was not like that in the early days. So it really gave you a, a pretty broad exposure. The very first song MTV played was The Buggles, Video Killed the Radio Star. The second song that was played was actually played by mistake. The second song that was played was Pat Benatar's You Better Run. That was not supposed to be the second song, and I can't remember what the second song was supposed to be. <laughs> but Pat Benatar's got played second when it was supposed to be like the third or fourth song that got played. I digress. MTV was pretty cool at the beginning, even if the music that you saw or the groups that you saw weren't necessarily bands you heard of or, or maybe a genre you even dug that much. It was cool to see it. And MTV brought about two phenomena. Number one, obviously, it's a video channel. So the visual is very important. Many bands that were visually appealing became very popular. Okay. And, and I don't mean this as a slam against these bands, but, but you got to face the reality, right? A band like Duran Duran. Okay. Here's a band, all these good looking hip guys, right? Became very popular. Okay. Very popular band. And after a year or two, that bled over into mainstream radio. So now all of a sudden, Duran Duran, who's very popular on MTV, they start to become very popular on the radio. And by about 84, MTV had basically become like CHR, like contemporary hit radio. They still went a little deeper. You could still see them play some older stuff. But in terms of them being on the cutting edge of exposing us to new music that we never seen before, they really became more aligned with the same stuff you'd hear on contemporary hit radio. And of course, the record companies by then understood the power of 
MTV and the power of video. So everyone started to pump out videos. Okay. So, so I mentioned these bands that, that were visually appealing. The good looking bands would become popular on radio. But here was the other challenge. Okay. Bands that might be great musicians, but that weren't visually appealing. They were at a disadvantage on MTV because people didn't want to see them. Okay. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't look as good as Duran Duran did. Okay. And I don't mean this to be negative. That's just the reality. Okay. So you take popular bands from the seventies and I'm just, I'm not singling these guys out, but this is the first ones that come to mind. Blue Oyster Cult, right? Uh, Kansas. I love both of these bands, but guys, let's be honest. They're not full of eye candy. Okay. That was just the reality. Bands like that had a harder time making that transition to video. And we see this played out in hard rock. Okay. And one of the, one of the prime examples that I'll give you is a group that I really like. I really liked. And they had some videos in the early days of MTV. That's White Snake. 83, 84, the White Snake you saw was David Coverdale, Ian Pace, or Cozy Powell, depending on what, what era you're, you're watching. Uh, John Lord on keyboards, Neil Murray on bass. You've got Mel Galley on guitar, Mickey Moody on guitar. A little later, you get John Sykes on guitar. But there was a conscious decision made by Coverdale in the mid eighties to get better looking dudes for the band. Okay. And so remember that huge in 87, the huge white snake album that came out that broke them in the U S that first video, you don't see Mel Galley anymore. You don't see Mickey Moody anymore. And they've brought in Rudy Sarzo, Vivian Campbell, Adrian Vandenberg. What do these guys all have in common? Well, they're all good looking. Right. Much better looking than Mel Galley and Mickey Moody were. Okay. That's, that's not a, a, a slam on those guys. That's just the reality. David Coverdale realized the importance of video and the visual. And that's why he changed the whole band. Now, now Sykes, Sykes, very good looking guy. The only reason he wasn't there is, is he and Coverdale just didn't get along. Right. So Sykes had the look. He could have stayed, but. There were personality things going on there, but White Snake is just one of the examples of hard rock bands realizing the importance of the visual. And that's just one example, right? You look at all those mid eighties bands, right? Rat, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi. Okay. All of a sudden the, the good looking bands were getting more airplay on MTV. And because they got more airplay on MTV, there was more airplay on the radio. So MTV and commercial radio became, you know, linked at the hip at that point. Now, here's one of the other critiques of MTV in the early days. Two, two of them really. Another major critique was violence. MTV was often criticized for violence in a lot of the videos. And one of the videos that really jumped out, and anytime there was a news story or documentary about the violent videos, they would always show the Planet P video. 
Uh, remember the Planet P project video for Why Me, where it shows the astronaut helmet and the guy's head explodes? I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty gross, right? They would always show that. And they would always talk about the violence that, that you'd see in these videos. And again, MTV had to kind of clean itself up and get a little more sanitized. Another big critique was the lack of racial diversity. Okay. And it is true. In the early days of MTV, 81, 82, 83, you very rarely saw African American artists, you know, R&B artists. You just didn't see much of that until this guy named Michael Jackson hit MTV and in a big way. And that kind of opened the door to a lot more R&B artists. And you saw a lot more diversity in terms of the types of music and the way artists looked, right? It wasn't just white British people, which was what so much of it was in the early days. But the last thing I want to mention in terms of the impact that MTV had were two things, actually. There was something called basement tapes. So let's talk about basement tapes really quick. Basement Tapes was a show where unsigned bands could submit their own videos and they would be judged and a big winner would be picked. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like some of the shows that we see here today. Uh, there were a few bands that were winners on Basement Tapes. One that comes to mind is Extreme. That's how Extreme got their start. Nuno Betancourt, they were actually a pretty good band. They started out on MTV's Basement Tapes. And Basement Tapes gave a lot of exposure to unsigned bands. And that was that was pretty cool. The other thing that MTV had was Headbangers Ball. And I'll tell you, Headbangers Ball exposed me to a lot of bands that I never would have heard of. Iron Maiden was on Headbangers Ball, Judas Priest, you'd see all, and some of these bands would, would be shown throughout the week in limited rotation, but every Saturday night, Headbangers Ball, you would get, it's all heavy metal, right? And so you would be exposed to bands like, you know, Raven or Saxon or all these, a lot of new wave of British heavy metal bands, that type of thing. But another source of exposure was from Headbangers Ball. Oh, and you know what? I forgot about the MTV concert. Every Saturday night, there would be a concert. And it wasn't just hard rock or heavy metal concerts, but a lot of them were. You know, I can remember seeing a Judas Priest concert on MTV concerts. Asia in Asia, that was a full event that was put on uh, by MTV. Asia uh, broadcasting live from Asia. Judas Priest, Ozzy Osbourne, Iron Maiden, a lot of these bands that you heard about, right? You might hear their music on the classic rock stations, the AOR stations, but you could actually see them live on MTV. It was really cool. Now, the sad part of all this, obviously, is that MTV was really only relevant for about 10 years, 12 years, I mean, by the early, I mean, I had lost interest in MTV by the 90s and had actually moved on to watching VH1 because VH1's music was more aligned with what I liked and they played more classic rock. But by the mid 90s, I mean, who knows? Does MTV still even exist? I don't know. They became a reality show network and 
just kind of went down the crapper. But the first 10 years or so, MTV was hugely important. Music videos were hugely important. And it was a double-edged sword, right? MTV was awesome for a lot of bands. Sadly, it often came down to the bands that had the look. And MTV wasn't so great for bands that might have been great bands, but they didn't have the look. Now, on my YouTube channel, I have a video about this. I would recommend you check it out because it goes into a little more detail here. You remember Christopher Cross? Christopher Cross in 1980 won like five Grammy Awards, you know, Album of the Year, Song of the Year, just a a tremendously talented guy who actually has rock and roll roots, who actually played in Deep Purple for a gig at one time. Richie Blackmore couldn't make the show. And Christopher Cross, who who was from Houston, he stepped in and filled in for him. By the way, Christopher Cross owned the famous SRV, Stevie Ray Vaughan Stratocaster, before Stevie Ray did. And Christopher Cross was a well-known fixture in the Houston music scene. Great, phenomenal guitar player, great songwriter, happened to break it big, make it big, as a writer and singer of love songs, basically. So if all you know about Christopher Cross is, you know, the Arthur theme and sailing and all of that, well, there's a whole nother backstory about Christopher Cross. He's a rocker and he rips on guitar. But why am I talking about Christopher Cross? Here's why. Christopher Cross was literally at the top of the music industry in 1980. He was at the top. Multi-platinum seller. Multi-Grammy winner. But Christopher Cross looks like the guy next door. Okay, kind of balding. A little heavy set. You know, he looks like most of us look, right? (laughs) He did not look like a model. He did not look like Duran Duran. He did not look like John Bon Jovi. And because he didn't have the look, he never made that transition to the video age. That's just the reality of it. And that's sad because here's a super talented guy that because the industry changed from just an an audio to a video format, he couldn't really make that transition. And I mentioned the bands earlier, like Kansas, Blue Oyster Cult, other great hard rock bands that just weren't as camera friendly as other bands. That's one of the the downsides of MTV. So on the one hand, MTV was very important for a lot of bands, gave a lot of bands exposure they wouldn't have gotten. On the other hand, it was a little challenging for other bands. Personally, I miss MTV. I miss the days when you could sit down for a couple hours and see videos from all different genres. I mean, talk about a a musical education, right? You could, in the course of an hour, see R&B stuff, see heavy metal stuff, see a, a classic from the Beatles. It was really cool. And I miss those early days of MTV. It was a lot of fun and exposed us to a lot of great music. But things change. And sadly, MTV as we knew it then is is no more. But I wanted to talk about it. I, th- I think it's important to understand the impact that MTV had on hard rock, uh, both good and bad. What do you think? 
send me an email at classicguitarrock at mail.com. And if you have Spotify Premium, please check out our sister podcast, The Classic Guitar Rock Countdown. Hey, we will see you next time on The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. (laughs) We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.